We've all heard it before. It's who you know. Welcome to Social Capital, a weekly podcast that dives into social relationships and why the investment you put into them is so important. Your host, Lori Hybe, will connect with industry-leading professionals and dive into their networking experiences and expert advice. Hey, everybody. Lori Hybe here. Welcome to the Social Capital Podcast. Our show notes are found at socialcapitalpodcast.com. I just want to give you a quick thank you. I want you, the listener, to know that I appreciate you. And um, if you ever need any sort of support, don't hesitate to reach out. That being said, here's two ways that you can connect with me. First, we've got a Facebook group called Social Capital Network, a community of trust, reciprocity, and relationships. You can definitely get involved in the conversation there, connect with other listeners and guests on the show. Second, LinkedIn is the channel that you're going to find me on probably most often. You can search for Lori Hybe. Simply click the follow button as I post daily information about marketing strategy tips, all these podcast episodes, and any upcoming events. If you'd like to connect, make sure you send a note with your connection request that references social capital. I cannot wait to hear from you. All right, Social Capital Podcast is sponsored by Keystone Click. We are a strategic digital marketing agency that believes that you have to understand your customer before you can actually start marketing to them. You can learn more about customer journey process at keystoneclick.com. All right, today's guest is Steve Rice. Steve is the founder of the Globally Conscious Leader and .com Jungle. His ability to absorb information about brands, strategies, and technologies, then impart their context and opportunities in simple language has proved invaluable as a trusted advisor to owners and CEOs. His use of Spousal KPI is a humorous, effective way to help executives de develop healthy lifestyles and thriving businesses. Dotcom Jungle is his technology team supporting companies in making and implementing wise technology choices. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lori. I am honored to be here. Well, I know we've had a couple of good conversations uh, before we, we got on this show and started um, recording the conversation, but I don't think I actually heard you talk about spousal KPI and, and river KPI. And so talk about that a little bit. What is it? Why do you talk about it? What does it matter? <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I came across this because in my, in my work as a trusted advisor with owners and executives of CPG companies, uh, you know, the, oftentimes the question is, well, how do I measure, you know, effectiveness, which really should be a question that everybody asks, you know, if, if you, if you come to you for marketing and you're doing, uh, you know, your AdWords stuff, mm -hmm. um, you know, someone's sooner or later, someone's going to say, well, what's my return on ad spend? And, sure. but with consulting, um, it's, there is no ROAS, uh, so to speak. And, um, I've, I've found that what's true is that the executives that end up getting to know me and that I work with, they, they need someone like me because they're lonely, frankly. You know, they, they might have uh, a set of managers inside their business or a board of directors, but they're still sitting alone at the top of that heap. Um, and when you're uh, someone, I don't know, who's, who's made something with your hands, and, and somewhere along the line said, gosh, if I sold these to people, I could make a lot of money, which is a lot of what manufacturing is in the United States. You, you have an ownership 
responsibility and an emotional stake in the company that someone who's an executive of say, you know, like the North Face doesn't have the same. And, um, and so you, you go home every night to your spouse, your husband or wife, and you often take the emotions of that day with you. So the spousal KPI, what I try to do is I actually say, I want to meet your wife. I want to meet your husband. I'm going to come. We're going to go to dinner because I want them to know that if you're happy when you come home, that their life is going to be better. And, um, and that's, if, if that's what's true, then I've done my job. So the KPI is the key performance indicator. Um, and like I said, so if you have a better relationship with your spouse, because you're not bringing home all the, you know, crappy stuff that happened that day and dumping it on their table, then, uh, then I'm doing my job. Uh, the other one, the river KPIs, I happen to be a fisherman and I like standing in the river. And I know when my businesses are going well, I spend more time in the river and I get better ideas when I'm standing in the river and I come home refreshed and go to work refreshed. So that's where those come from. And I say it with a smile on my face, but they're very real because you, you change the lifestyle of the owner and you, you often change the culture and the lifestyle of all the people who work in the company as well. Well, and I, I can respect that a ton because at the end of the day, we're all looking at the the numbers and the messaging and the positioning and, you know, conversions and those types of data points that are within the business. But at the end of the day, it's, it's what's happening uh, in our personal lives. That is really the, the most important part, right? I mean, but we always yeah. have family first and, you know, put yourself first. So um, those are fantastic ways to, to look at it. And, I, and like I said, I've never heard them referenced before and I love it. I was told by a friend that I should trademark or copyright those. So I just might. <laughs> <laughs> I Googled them to see if anyone else uses them and they haven't yet. So, sure. <laughs> so how do you go uh, about discovering the underlying needs of your business and how do you turn that into actionable value? Well, you know, when we get, this is more thinking along the lines of what, what my you know, trusted advisorship leads to, which is often, um, bringing in .com Jungle, which is my technology arm, um, to, to understand the true challenges that are happening in a company. And the first thing is you just sort of have to ask that question, like what's actually going wrong with your business or where do you think the struggles are? And um, the main answer to that question is something that we like to call engaging your MBWA, which uh, is different than an MBA. It's management by walking around. Because um, frankly, we, we work with a lot of manufacturers. And, and like I said, they're usually salt of the earth folks who invented something with their hands. And now all of a sudden, I say all of a sudden, but 20 years later, uh, they're the CEO of a $40 million company that's you know shipping to Home Depot and Cabela's or something. Um, but that, that management by walking around is something that as a, a lot of executives kind of forget. And part of it is just the, the nature of a company. Um, as you grow, you build up a team of people who are workers who do the stuff, you know, they do the shipping, you have the janitor, you have somebody answering the phone. And eventually you have managers and then you have managers of managers. Mm -hmm. And what gets left behind is that MBWA. And um, the typical example would be, say, let's say a company like just make up a number like 120 million. They have an executive management team that includes a CMO, a CTO, uh, the, you know, the CFO, the president of operations, maybe shipping manager, a supply chain person, and the CEO. 
and let's they have a question like we we think we need to update our ERP. Well, the natural thing for those folks to do is say, well, I have three people or two people working under me, and under those people, there's 18 people who are actually doing the work. So uh, they think about it like a flagpole. I'm at the I'm at the top of the flagpole, so I'm going to move it down the flagpole to the next person, and I'm going to say, you know, let me know what we need for an ERP, and then that next person is going to then talk to their 18 people and say, give us all the feedback of what you want. What gets lost is that no one's going and sitting next to those 18 people, walking up to them. This is the NBWA and sitting next to them and watching them work for a day and saying, why did you do that? What did you expect to happen? What is it that you would rather have happen? Um, and you get into what some people call the five whys, you know, why, why? Yeah. You have to ask why five times before you get the, the real answer. Yeah. And um, so that's, in a certain way, that answer answers the second half of the question, like how do you turn those into actionable items? Because if if you're on that executive board and either you or someone you truly trust, maybe the person you know that reports to you, your direct board, actually goes down and talks to those 18 people, the actionable items become really clear. You don't even have to know technology or know systems or know people if you know that you should ask why five times because they'll tell you. Um, and so sometimes people look at what we do like it's magic <laughs> and, uh, and it's not. It's, you know, I'm essentially a C-suite executive who comes into a company and says, let me go talk to the janitor. And, uh, you know, so, um, so the way, the way if, you, if you own a company, whether it's manufacturing or not, and you actually want to know what's going on, um, it's not trite to say, go talk to the stakeholders who are actually using your systems and see what they're doing. Go hang out with the shipping team for a day and help them. Go hang out with your sales team and watch what they do and, and ask them what their frustrations are. And uh, you won't get better answers from other people who are trying to ask those questions than you will if you ask them yourselves. Sure. And you will create a better culture for your company when you do that, whether oh, you're that. 2 million or 200 million. Yeah. No, that, that's, that totally makes sense. I mean, just it, go right to the root, root problem or identify what the root problem is by kind of going you know, grassroots level and figuring out what, what's the situation what is the experience? Yeah. You know what's going on. I think that's a great approach. Yeah, and I I, I get the tension that happens because you're when you're an owner, part of your job in that first twenty years is to build up that organization chart so that you're not the janitor and you're not the secretary and you're not taking sales calls and you're not traveling. Uh, and so it's natural for that separation to happen because that's what you do in the org chart. Um, but there is a point where you sort of have to work back down the org chart and get in touch with the people who are actually doing the work. Yep. Um, and, and not because, you know, you're the average Joe or, or you know, uh, but because it's actually good for the company and it's good for the culture and it's good for the people. And in the end, it's good for your customers. Yep, totally. Totally agree with that. So let's talk about this a little bit. How do leadership communication and technology actually become HR issues and vice versa <laughs> in most businesses? I love this uh, great question, and because uh, it, it's really related to the last question too. Um, I believe, and I, and I found this, um, you know, belief fulfilled everywhere I go. Uh, 
people love to do good work. And if you give them good systems, if your employees have good systems that measure the right things and allow them to succeed, they're going to be really happy working for you. And it, it doesn't matter how much you pay them to some extent. Like, I, I don't mean to minimize how much someone should get paid because we need to pay people well, but, but happiness really matters. And a feeling of success is one of the most important things about happiness. So conversely, uh, if you have systems and processes that people have to trudge through and they don't feel successful, and especially if you give them uh, sales goals that are sort of incommensurate to the ability of the systems to support and, and they feel like they can't hit their sales goals because they're hampered by technology, you're going to have a bunch of unhappy people and it doesn't matter how much you pay them. Um, I've definitely, we, I think we all probably know people who left jobs for lower paying positions somewhere where they just knew they'd be way happier. Uh, and um, so that's, that's how the technology becomes an HR issue and, and, and vice versa. Um, most companies look at HR like it's a department and the HR's job is to provide the legal framework to hire people uh, and fire people. And then they, they sit in their silo. Um, but HR means human resources and the, the humans don't stop existing once they've been hired and then start existing again. Uh, when the HR has to deal with them and, and get rid of them if something crazy is going on, like they're drinking on the job or just underperforming. True HR happens every single day inside the culture of the company. And um, so uh, the technology supports that, the goals of the company support that, the way people talk to each other supports that. So, so they're all interconnected. Love it. And, and it totally makes sense. All the pieces of the puzzle fit together for a reason, right? Yes. <laughs> they, 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 it, and that's what it is. It's making sure you're leveraging the piece in the right spot, you know, and there's a, the other analogy, the, the people in the right seats on the right bus, you know, but I think the bigger yeah. picture from the business standpoint, that definitely makes sense. Yeah. And from, from an HR standpoint, all that communication that happens between silos, uh, especially when there's a big, um, big effort like getting a new ERP system, um, you have to have that communication and uh, in order to get the right answers. And uh, so if you're not asking the right questions, once again, you know, those five whys, and it's not being asked by the right people, then when you go to the people who are supposed to be writing you the ERP, you don't even know the answers to the questions they ask and you don't know the right questions to ask of them and you end up with something that's not really working for the company and then you have a bunch of unhappy people again so it's a big circle it's a vicious cycle <laughs> yeah well um steve this is a good time for, to pause for a quick message from our sponsor okay social capital is sponsored by keystone click Located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Keystone Click is a strategic digital marketing agency focused on helping their clients generate and nurture opportunities online. For Social Capital listeners, they've created an awesome Guide to Profits booklet featuring 42 tips on how to build brand awareness, generate leads, and nurture those opportunities online. Visit keystoneclick.com backslash profits to download your own guide today. Steve, the show is all about creating relationships. And, you know, sometimes when people hear that word networking, 
it invokes fear, hesitation, uncertainty. My goal is to remove some of that, and I'm hoping that you can help me do that by sharing with our listeners one of your most successful or favorite networking experience that you've had. Gosh, I've had a lot, and I've, I've had a lot of painful moments, too. Um, I am a naturally gregarious person, uh, but I also have a lot of hesitations about, you know, networking and direct marketing and meeting people that I have never met before. Um, at the same time, in the last 30 years, what I've realized is that um, the relationships that I've built in the past and the ones I'm going to build in the future are really important. Um, and um, and I, I've, I've come to learn that I'm, I'm no longer afraid to, to cold call somebody if I have a real reason to cold call them. And, and in the end, let me rephrase that. I don't really ever make cold calls. I make warm calls and I, and I do not have a traditional sales funnel. So when every, when everybody out there is thinking about this, they might be thinking about, you know, lead magnets and uh, sales funnels and people getting warmed up. I don't do any of that. Um, I, I come out of the outdoor industry and I mean, especially outdoor, the world of Patagonia, North Face, rock climbing, mountaineering, skiing, snowboarding, all that. Now, all that fun, active stuff. I, I was a fishing guide in my youth. I was a rock climbing and mountaineering instructor. I've been a hard goods buyer for outdoor stores. I've owned an outdoor store. Uh, I've worked with a ton of consumer products goods inside the outdoor industry. And the relationships that I have there, some of them go back 30 years. Like some of the people who own the larger uh, sales repping organizations in the Pacific Northwest used to be dirtbag rock climbers that I climbed with. You know, we were sleeping in our trucks, not taking showers and climbing 12 hours a day together <laughs> back in 92, right? And um, and now that, you know, they've worked their way up through those repping agencies and now they own them. So um, I've learned through those relationships that basically there's a lot more people I don't know than I do know. And um, the, one, of the, one of the success stories I would say is, um, part of my personality is what led me to form the globally conscious leader. Uh, and um, it's different than having a business like dot-com jungle. Like when I call somebody and say, Hey, my name's Steve from dot-com jungle. I wouldn't blame anybody if they hung up the phone. Um, right. Cause they don't know what that means. Uh, but when I call somebody and say, this is Steve from the globally conscious leader. And there's somebody from the outdoor industry, which by its very nature, uh, cares about global responsibility, cares about circular su supply chain, circular economy thinking, cares about longevity of product, repairability of product, the right to repair as a legal concept, um, then uh, they're very likely to say, oh, that's interesting. What can I do for you? Um, and that's given me, you know, the success is that's given me um, a lot more confidence in just calling up someone essentially, uh, you know, like I, so recently um, I had somebody recommend me uh, and it was somebody I've known for about 30 years. Um, and all he said to the other person was, you need to call Steve. He's legendary. <laughs> and, uh, and so I asked again, well, why did you call me? And he said, well, Mike, Mike said you were legendary. And I was like, around what? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm calling you. 
And, but he said, I saw, I saw that, you know, you have the globally conscious leader and you do this other stuff and, and I'm really lonely and I need to talk to somebody. Hmm. Um, so that, that was a situation where the, like I said, because of the name, the globally conscious leader, the person who's making the recommendation didn't even have to tell him why he should call me. And it turns out there's maybe five different things I could help that person with. Um, another great example is, uh, I'm on the, um, there's some or, uh, outdoor industry association email lists, and I'm on those because I used to own an outdoor store and go to the trade mm-hmm. shows as both a buyer and an owner. And, sure. um, and I got an email that from somebody who bought their email list and happens to make headbands in Nepal and so supports a small community of women in Nepal who make stuff by hand. Um, and then also, you know, is 1% for the planet and have other, a few other things that are green oriented. And the owner's phone number just happened to be at the bottom of the email. Uh, and because of my social networking, because of the globally conscious leader, because of my experience as a, an advisor, I basically called that person up. And my very first thing I said is, my name is Steve Rice and you never met me and you don't even have the foggiest idea who I am. And she said, wow, that's funny. So why are you calling me? And I said, well, <laughs> I saw your email from you know the Oregon industry thing and um, uh, saw that you make stuff in Nepal and that you have a lot of uh, you know sort of global supply chain green things that you're proud of. And I happen to be the founder of you know, globally conscious leader. And I just wanted to learn about you. So from a social networking standpoint, that was pretty phenomenal. And within two minutes, she said, what are you selling? <laughs> right. And I actually said, you know what, I'm, I'm not actually selling anything. Uh, what I'm interested in is, is creating a relationship. I'd rather build a relationship than send you an invoice. Sure. And, and I'm wondering if there's anything I can do for you. And she said, well, Actually, I just invented something with my husband and we're getting ready to start another company and I need, uh, I need a designer who can make a tech pack that I can then hand off to a cut and sew facility to have this thing made. Uh, I said, oh, well, I actually know this guy named Damien Kelly who lives in Canada, uh, who's a designer and he's worked for Mountain Hardware and these other companies and, and he's well known in the industry and he was actually recommended to me by the CEO of uh, Hydro Flask, you know, and then I know this other guy named Jason in Seattle, who's uh, designed tents and sleeping bags and gloves, and he's also well known. Let me see if I can reach out. I did that, uh, and Damien and her ended up uh, working together, and he's building the tech pack for him. And I, I don't get any money off of it. Uh, I just connected two really great people, uh, and you know. Now I have two friends for life. So that's, that's the epitome of social capital right there. I, I yeah. used my leverage uh, and, and my relationships to help two people um, have a better experience. And um, I imagine in 20 years, I could call them having not spoken to them in 20 years and they'd go, oh yeah, you're that guy who helped me out. Yeah. Well, and I love that you just took the initiative on upon yourself to pick up the phone and call the person who sent the email because you were simply intrigued by what they had to offer without the intention of trying to sell something. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, if we're talking about social capital and social marketing and building relationships. You, you need to be that way. If, if you're not naturally curious, um, 
you need to learn how to fake it until you are. Because <laughs> uh, I get those phone calls. I get those. Um, oh, what about a friend, Gail, Gail Robertson? Um, she talked about being on LinkedIn and she calls it getting pitch, pitch yep. slapped. <laughs> right. You're on LinkedIn and, and yep. immediately they don't ask you any questions. They just tell you everything about themselves. Yep. Yep. They go right, right to it. Yeah. Uh, so how do you stay in front of and best nurture your community? Um, well, I'm always working on that. I think that changes a lot. Um, right now, I think for what I do, LinkedIn is a really great place for me to be. Um, it's a good place where um, I can develop my persona, you know, and I'm, I'm fortunate that my persona is just me. I don't have to, I don't have to pretend to be something else. Sure. Um, the challenge is finding time to be myself. Um, and, you know, so what part of what I'm learning is that if I could just basically be on phone calls with, with you and 50 other people every week, um, not only would I have more fun, I'd, I'd have a better spousal KPI, I'd sleep better, and, and I'd make the connections I need that would not just bring me business, but I bring a lot of value to businesses. And that's, that's what brings me joy. So um, nurturing those relationships through LinkedIn and making connections via live chat. And basically I, I grill people. I, I find out how long they've been married, how many kids they have, where they were born. We talk about a lot of stuff before we even talk about business. Yeah. I uh, think that, that that's so important. Actually, it really is important to it, just create that foundation. It really is. Uh, I, I mean, let me be clear. I've made a lot of mistakes in business in my life. Like I, 10, 11 years ago, I had a business with 200, cu 200 customers and 11 or 12 employees, a salesperson, two designers, three programmers. And I was completely miserable, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I was, I was doing everything that everybody else told me I should do, which is, you know, go out and get as many clients as you can, like burn through them, see, you know, get them on a server, charge them hosting, and what I was missing was the relationship piece. Yeah. And uh, luckily, my current business partner showed up, uh, Stephen Sendar. And, um, you know, he's become, you know, a partner, a really good friend, a mentor. And he looked at me and, uh, I, you know, I won't cuss. I'll, I'll, I'll say a-holes instead of the other word. He said, you have hired a bunch of customers who are a-holes. And you've done it because you felt like you needed to pay for your kids college and feed your children. And in the end, you're not actually servicing your community and doing your being your best self. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, um, like I said, I, I've made a lot of mistakes. Stephen helped me realize what those mistakes are and helped me be, get back to who I really am. Um, and, um, you know, that relationship building helps you know if those are people that you actually, do, do you want to spend a couple hours a week working with those people for the next 10 years? You know, if, if not, find them someone else who is a better fit. Mm -hmm. um, you're not doing them a disservice by saying, I'm not sure we're a good fit, but I can help you find somebody that's a good fit. Sure. Yeah. And, I think that's important to do that too. Yeah. So what advice would you offer the business professionals looking to grow their network? Um, two things, you know, watch out for in a, in a, 
a protective way, watch out for groups of social networks that aren't really going to service you. Um, at the same time, you really have to be open to everyone who connects with you because you don't really know until you get to know them whether they're going to be helpful or not. Um, every time I get judgmental about uh, somebody in a social network or something, like especially LinkedIn, you know, I get, you know, a, a, anywhere between two and 15 connection requests a day. Um, if I get judgmental uh, and say no, um, I usually find out later that that was somebody that I should have just said yes to. So I, I really do say yes to, to everyone on LinkedIn that now connects to me. Um, and, I've, and I've also learned that the more I do for other people, the more they do for me, you know, the higher my standing is in that community. So, so I'd say, don't be afraid of communities of people who do similar things than you. Um, and that, that are gonna, you know, that could bring you into a community. Like there's, there's one called WBS Rocks that I think you're a member of and I join. And it'd be easy to look at that group of folks and say, well, there's all these people who they're all consultants and none of them are my customers. Well, it turns out they all work with people that are my customers. And what I provide is so unique that those folks are very likely to recommend me to their customers as an adjunct to what they're doing. Um, likewise, uh, you know, speaking specifically about like manufacturing as an example, yeah. if, if I want to talk to manufacturers, the best thing I can do is actually go to a manufacturer's conference or in these cases, Zooms, or, or get, get in touch with the uh, Manufacturing Extension Program, MEPs, which are in every state. You know, there's yep, OMAP yep. and CalMAP, and they're already talking to my customers all the time. And they're looking for people like me who can educate their folks. Um, and in so doing, then, you know, what I'm going to do is create uh, you know, get those folks to know me, trust me, and like me, and then they're going to give me a call. So, you know, take take those networks seriously and don't be afraid of them and support them. And eventually they'll support you. Yeah, I love that. And I'm a huge fan of, um, I, I'm calling it co-opetition, really. It's you're cooperating yeah. with your competition. And I think there's nothing wrong with it. If anything, my position on that is that it helps elevate the industry as a whole because we're making every we're making each other better and we're supporting and and advocating for each other. And once you get into establishing these relationships with your competition, I find more times than not they're actually not your competition, but they're strategic partners because you find out that you have strengths that they don't have and they have strengths you don't have and you're able to refer each other really nice opportunities because you've established the trust and you know that they can solve the problem of that individual. Uh, yeah. I so appreciate that description. It's very true. Here's a fun one for you, Steve. I'm sure you're going to give me some good, good juicy details here, but if you could go back to your 20 year old self, what would you tell yourself to do more of less of or differently with regards to your professional career? <laughs> um. I think I would say, don't be afraid to step out and start a business now. Um, for those, those of us who've never started a business, whether it's consulting or another business, it can also, it can often seem like a scary thing. Um, and my wife kind of heckles me about this because once I started one, I was all of a sudden starting more, <laughs> more and more uh, and partnering with people and, and trying some things. 
So she was like, you know, can you stop making business and just focus on the ones that you have? You know, I'm like, well, they're all interrelated and each one's special, you know? So, um, so I'd say, don't, don't be afraid to make that step and step out and create, create a company, whether it's a consulting company or taking an idea that you have, even if you have to work, you know, your company and your job to make it happen. Um, that's, that would be the advice I'd give myself. Yeah, no, I, I think there's, there's a lot of the truth to that. I think a lot of people just, they want to do it, but they're afraid to do it. And oftentimes something I've learned and I I'm still have to just take a little piece of my own medicine is the fear to do something is often greater than the act itself. It's it's so once you jump over the hurdle, whatever it is, which is typically our own minds getting in the way of actually doing it, you reflect back and go, that was nowhere near as scary as I thought it was going to (laughs) be. Totally. One of the, um, I don't know if allegory is the right word, but I, in talking about that, I point out like international travel to people because mm-hmm. before you go pretty much anywhere, if you read the news you're about that country, you're going to find out that so many people died that, you know, were shot in the streets or, mm-hmm. you know, that shining path is on the move or something weird about the country you're going to. Um, and so it, it can be a little scary uh, if you focus on that, but when, once you get to those places, you know, and we're not talking about going to Bosnia in the middle of a war, um, but when you when you get to wherever you're going, you realize, well, there's a million and a half people in this city who are all living perfectly normal lives, you know, have to get up and brush their teeth and take a shower just like I do every day. Um, what was I so worried about? And business can feel like that. Totally. It, it yeah, it, it can. And it, it's, um, that's a good analogy, actually. Because I think about that when people like look at the headlines in Milwaukee, it sounds like Milwaukee's a terrible community. If you see what everyone else is saying about it, but I love I love it here. And once people come here, like this place is amazing. But yeah, you're you're right. There's there's so many weird, mind boggling situations that we just let let impede any progress. And I think if we just get over those hurdles, I'm just speaking to myself right now. <laughs> some to-dos I got to yeah. tackle. <laughs> we all, we all have the fears that we carry around. We, we mm-hmm. wake up with them. We go to sleep with them. And so, uh, yeah, for, for sure. Steve, I'm going to give you the opportunity to interview me. What is something you'd like to ask me? Um, well, you, you've been talking about social capital and uh, so I'm curious, what would be your answer to the last two or three questions? Like how do you, how do you engage your folks and stay engaged and make yourself relevant for them? Yeah. You know, I, I kind of am piggybacking on what you said with LinkedIn. I found that LinkedIn is a fantastic medium to really just showcase um, our expertise while also um, providing value is really what it comes down to being a resource. And whenever I, I do connect with someone um, I do like to take the approach of how can I help you first and regardless if I'm the right solution or not, I'm gonna find a way because my network is quite fast. And more times than not, I've got someone in my back pocket that I can make a connection to that's gonna help you solve that immediate challenge that you have, or they're gonna you know, be one step closer to helping you solve that problem. So that's definitely um, my philosophy is to just be a resource in as many ways as possible. Um, and I'm not the hard salesperson. I don't pick up and do the cold calls. I, I find that when, if people are ready, they'll reach out to me. And I know that's not necessarily always the best strategy, but um, 
my, I'd rather spend my time being a resource and, and establishing the trust in advance so that when they're ready um, to do any business or just ask for help, they're not afraid to come and, and they know that I'm going to provide the best possible solution that I can, whether it's with us or with somebody else. Now, so the corollary question is what sort of content strategy do you deploy on LinkedIn and are there other places you deploy it? So I imagine this podcast is uh, part of that content strategy. Like, sure. Do you, do you take the transcript from this and post it as an article? Do you, you know, post the audio files to LinkedIn? Do oh, you have yeah. other things you're adding to LinkedIn? What does that look yep. like for you? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, I mean, this is syndicated to a number of different channels. Um, I think we're on like 10 or 11 different podcast listening platforms at this, at this time. I don't know what the right specific word is off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, we, it's transcripted and then it converts into a blog post. We'll craft a couple different um, types of social posts with this, some audio, audiograms is what I call it. Mm-hmm. Um, just pulling a little teaser audio uh, component to, to get someone excited to want to listen to the whole episode. Um, but that's specific for this podcast. And part of that is you know, I'm a big advocate of networking. Um, and, and it's a great way for me to be, um, an advocate for my network is to help them get introduced, you know, to others in my network. And if someone's interested in, you know, connecting with Steve Rice then reach out and connect with them, (laughs) (laughs) you know, um, but I also oftentimes when someone asks me a question, you know, a one-to-one conversation related to marketing, um, I will typically take that and supply the answer, uh, one to many. So I'm taking the answer I provided to that individual and then making some minor tweaks to it to be a little bit broader and being a resource to the network. Cause my assumption is that if one person asks this question, there's probably many other people that have very similar questions to this as well. So yeah. I'm able to be a resource and provide value from, from that perspective. Um, we also do a ton of educational content from blogs and webinars you know, we've got the podcast and videos. So all of that is being distributed across my, my LinkedIn and um, the business page as well. So that's a LinkedIn strategy. Um, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and do email marketing as well. That's really kind of the main channels that I'm pushing my content out on. Cool. And I noticed you have, uh, which I just signed up for, a um, guide to profits that you mentioned it in the intro. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, and I bet that's a really good lead magnet. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a great piece. Yeah. It looks like yeah. something somebody like me could actually hand off to, you know, fledgling marketing departments and marketing managers and say, you should at least review this uh, and, uh, you know, adjust your planning accordingly. Yeah. It's all about, yeah. Building brand generated leads and nurturing those opportunities. I mean, that's what it's all about at the end of the day. Yeah. And, and I think your social capital and just how you establish trust with individuals all falls into, you know, each of those buckets. So yeah. um, as we kind of come to a close here, do you have any final word or advice to offer our listeners with regards to growing and supporting your network? Um, I like to say, be fearless and be kind, you know, um, don't be afraid to reach out to people. You'd be surprised how many people actually will be receptive to you if you truly want to help. Uh, sure. And uh, yeah, so be fearless and be kind. I love it. If anyone was interested in getting in touch with you, what's the best way that they can reach you? Uh, well, you can look me up uh, on LinkedIn. Um, 
I have no idea what the URL is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but also, I'm, I'm going to give you my cell number because I, I think people should just call me. It's 541-821-2733. Maybe I'll get a bunch of spam, maybe not. But um, I, I believe, you know, for, for both of my companies, you know, I have a phone number on my website. Uh, it comes straight to my phone. And, and uh, I'd rather be create that relationship than shuffle you off to a, a salesperson something sure. like that. So um, I think that's a little bit rare in today's time, but you know, I'm, I'm not trying to build a hundred million dollar company. I'm, I'm trying to help other companies be hundred million dollars. And um, so I don't need uh, 10 salespeople and 40 lead magnets and uh, a full HubSpot integration, et cetera, et cetera. Like that's, <laughs> that's not what I want for my, my life. Sure. Um, you know, so I, I'm making those decisions. I'm making my own spousal KPI decisions every day. And that's, that's one of them that I've chosen. Nice. All right. Well, I do have your LinkedIn and I'll include that in the show notes as long as well as your phone number. So um, if anyone is interested in connecting with Steve, just uh, check out the show notes and his contact info is there. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me, Lori. It's been very nice. Absolutely. Great conversations. Good stories. Really appreciate it. All right. This wraps up our episode of Social Capital. Huge thank you to Steve for taking the time to connect with us. And as mentioned before, let's connect on LinkedIn. I look forward to hearing from you shortly, and I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Most importantly, reach out and connect with someone. Reconnect with someone from your past. Find someone new you'd like to connect with. That's what it's all about, people. Go and build those relationships. That's all for this episode of the Social Capital Podcast. Visit socialcapitalpodcast.com for show notes, more episodes, and to see who will be on the show next. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode.